Well, all right. I'm going to go ahead and get started. Oops, let's see here. Can everybody see that? All right. What I'd, what I'd like to do um, just at the beginning of this session is try to draw out <clears throat> a little diagram that might be helpful to little, at least show a picture of some of the challenges that we, um, we might have. If you can't see this completely, it's, it's okay. But in terms of parenting, so let's say we have a mom right here, and then we have a dad over here. All right, and uh, <clears throat> the way that a young man becomes a man and the way that a young woman becomes a woman in terms of who they identify with the most is a little bit of a challenge. So we had twins, uh, our first uh, deal, and so, so let's say you got a girl and a boy. Well, for a girl to become a woman, she's born, she's very attached to her mother, <clears throat> in all sorts of ways, and then, and not, this isn't a diagram about how involved the dad might be, it's just a matter of who does she identify with most to become a woman? Well, she's going to identify with her mother, and so she kind of latches on here, and she just kind of stays there and continues to identify. The way that a boy becomes a man is, is actually kind of complicated, because for a boy to become a man, what he has to do is say, I am not this, I am that. He's got to make a break. And it's, it can be complicated sometimes. He's got to, now he's not rejecting his mother. And he's not rejecting woman, women or womanhood. He's just, in terms of his identity, he starts to realize at some point, oh, I'm one of these, I'm not one of these. And yet he has started his life in terms of the, the um, uh, intense amount of nurture the same as his sister so gunner and georgia our oldest two twins they kind of started out life on the same trajectory at the same point same way with the same intense nurture from their mother <clears throat> but this can be this can be challenging um for instance what happens if if um if a mom isn't ready for this yet now i remember one day I came home, and Gunner was about probably, I don't know, five or six years old. And I, can walk, I walked in the room, and every man can tell when his wife's been crying. So I walk in the room, I can tell Dana's been crying. So I say, what's the matter? What happened? She says, Gunner. Well, what did he do? Well, he didn't really do anything. <clears throat> she said, but this morning, when we normally sit and watch Sesame Street, Gunner wanted to sit in your chair. He didn't want to sit in my lap anymore. He said he wanted to sit. And I said, well, was he rude? No. Was he angry? No. Was he defiant? No. He just said, Mom, I'm going to sit in Dad's chair. Because when does a young boy start to become a man? Well, a lot earlier than you think. Because he's five years old. Now, is he ready to, you know, to support a family? Of course not. Is he ready to go out in the world? But even at five... What's happening there is he's starting to identify with me in a way that he hadn't before and he wants to sit in dad's chair and he starts to think maybe I ought not to be sitting in mom's lap. Now he can't articulate that for you. He's five. 
he can't explain what's going on. All of a sudden, he just has this desire. And that can be a challenge. Because a boy doesn't become a man and a girl doesn't become a woman at, you know, there's 17 years old, 364 days, and then boom, that 18th birthday, and wow, there they are. No, it's a process. And for boys, it, it's, it, it involves making a break. And sometimes if a mom isn't ready for that, <coughs> if she's not ready for that, she may latch on and not let him do it. Same is true for fathers and sons. My boys were little. We'd go to Home Depot and we'd hold hands. Spencer, my seven-year-old, still hold hands at Home Depot. My 16-year-old, I don't think so. Right? We're not holding hands anymore. Sometimes I will walk up beside him and grab his hand just to freak him out a little bit. But uh, we don't hold hands. I go. I my dad visits Louisville very often. And my mom, they they're married. They come together, and my dad and I don't hold hands on Home Depot. Because eventually you make a shift. It just starts earlier than you might, you might be ready for. Tell me what's happening. <clears throat> Tell me what you think is happening. This is rhetorical, but what do you think is happening? Ten-year-old boy playing baseball. He hits the ball. He's running first base, running around second base. Slides in the second, collides with the second baseman. They both are on the ground dust is flying everywhere and as the dust begins to settle they both stand up checking themselves looks like nobody's bleeding nobody's unconscious they're standing up looking around making sure everybody's okay and one of the moms yells out of the stands are you okay johnny and he yells back from the field i'm fine now what's he mad about honestly why is he mad he wasn't bothered last year when she did that well, he's becoming a man. Now, here's what we're not going to tolerate in this process. We're not going to tolerate disrespect. So I might have a conversation with Johnny and pull him aside and say, hey, let me tell you something. I don't care if your mother ran out there with a stretcher and a bag of bandages. You don't ever talk to her like that. You understand me? But then I also might sit down with my wife and say, look, I know that was embarrassing. This may not, you know, you may not understand what's going on in his heart. and He, he reacted inappropriately, but probably what happened there is you didn't know but he's getting older and what didn't bother him last year now just violated all of his sense of masculinity and he responded horribly to it he was rude disrespectful but let's try to observe maybe that we're gonna go ahead and let him get injured out there and not swoop in too soon he because what does he see? He sees his father fall down and his mom's, you know, mom's not yelling out. See, in fact, she's probably laughing at it, right, when he falls down. And so these young boys start to identify <coughs> with their dads or just men in general. They, they know every boy... When he's younger, wants to grow up and be one thing. He wants to grow up and be a man. And so, <clears throat> if this guy's not here, right? If dad's not there, it's a challenge. It's not insurmountable. It doesn't ruin everything. It just makes it more difficult. That's why I mentioned in the earlier session, this is important for the church. 
to be involved and, and everyone to be involved in each other's lives to help make up for some of the challenges that everybody brings to the table. Everybody brings some kind of challenge to the table and we just want to make sure as a church we're doing our best and this is just one of the big ones of our day. So she might not be ready, he might not be there. Whatever the case, we have to be intentional, kind of be ready for these things. And my responsibility in this particular session is to take the next 20 minutes or so and just give you some ideas of what kinds of things can a parent do, what kinds of things should they make sure are in place in order to help shape the gender identity of their children to raise masculine sons and feminine daughters. Um, one of the things is that we need to make sure that our children understand submission to authority. Now, the word submission and the word authority are bad words in this culture. It doesn't matter who's saying them. Uh, men don't like it. Ladies don't like it. Teenagers don't like it. Kids don't like it. <clears throat> I mean, I had a parent one time just say, well, I just think, you know, if we just explain things a little bit better to them, then they'll do better, do what we want to do. So tell them, explain why they have to wear their jacket and why they can't ride their bike in the street. And I'm like, look, that, their problem is not knowledge. Their problem is they don't want to be told what to do, right? A five-year-old kid is just doesn't want to be told what to do. And many of us don't want to be told what to do. <clears throat> but submission and authority is a part of all of human life. God has placed every, in every structure that God has set up, it involves there's an authority and submission structure to it. And our children need to learn how to submit to authority. My boys need to learn how to submit to authority because one day they're going to have authority. The Bible already says they are going to have authority in their homes. And what I want to make sure of is, is that they've learned how to submit to authority so that they know what to do with authority when they get it. A young man who has never had to submit to authority and never has embraced submission to authority, I can assure you when he gets authority, he will not know what to do with it when he gets it. All of us have worked for that guy, right? Everybody in here. I, the Burger King job where he just, this guy just became assistant manager and you're 15 years old and he's in there lording it over you like the Gentiles, right? Like he just is running the Pentagon, like he just won the lottery and he's bossing you around and bossing you around. What is that? That's just some kid that doesn't know what to do with authority because he's never really learned how to submit to authority. He's always trying to get it. Everybody wants authority, but you're going to be horrible at it if you've never learned how to submit to it. That's why a lot of ways, the military has helped so many young men <clears throat> in our culture. But I want Gunner <clears throat> and Fisher and Spencer to be able to handle it better than most. And so they have to learn. My daughters, and you know, I think this is a great church, and you've got a great pastor who loves the Word. And I know he preaches and teaches on these things. And there still may be some of you that this just rubs you the wrong way. And, I, and I'm going to be as winsome as I can. But honestly, I do expect that my daughters are going to grow up and, and be submissive to their husbands. I think it's the way God designed it. And I know a lot of dads are fine for other daughters to submit to their husbands. But when it comes to their daughters, you just think, well, I don't want her submitting to that guy. But honestly, that's the way God designed it. And that's the way God designed it to be harmonious and happy and enjoyable it's a picture of the gospel in Ephesians 5. And so I want my daughters, honestly, to embrace that. And one of the ways that I do that is to require them to submit to my authority. So the boys are going to have authority. My daughters are going to need to know 
how to submit. And I want, in a very real way, this is how at least, I've got four daughters, at least in my mind, I have this picture in my mind, I'm walking all four of them down the aisle. Maybe not on the same day, although that would be awesome actually, just to zip it all up in one event. But uh, I'm walking down the aisle, and in my mind, I've got my hand holding my daughter's hand, And I'm going to come down the aisle. I'm going to stand right here. And somebody up here is going to do the first part of the service. I'll take care of the rest. And he's going to say, who gives this woman to this man? And I'm going to stand there and I'm going to say, I do, or mother and I do, whatever sounds best. And I'm going to take her hand and I'm going to place it in the hand of another young man. And in doing that, I'm saying, son... I've taken care of her. I've been her leader, her provider, and protector all the way up until this moment, and now, and now it's you. And I'm going to embrace that. And I want my daughter to make a smooth transition. How my daughter feels about her womanhood is directly connected to her ability to submit to my authority the way that I show care for her, the way that I model good leadership for her. Frankly, I just want her to be able to identify a Yahoo when she sees one, Right? Don't you? I mean, you just want her to say, oh, I don't know what that is, but I know that isn't right. right? I've got a dad. He's been modeling this, and that isn't good leadership. I can, I can pick it out a mile away. I want her to see it coming a mile away. And so authority is a big part of this, not because everybody's going to be bossing everybody around, but because there's an order to everything, everything. <clears throat> So authority is a part of it. Affection. <coughs> a father and a mother giving affection to their children. I, I, don't, I usually don't have to explain to moms why it's important to give affection to their children. Sometimes I do with dads, especially with their sons. Dads get it with the daughters. Oh, yeah, she's sweet. She's kind. But if I show affection to my son, maybe he'll be soft. And No, actually, it's the opposite. A, a, a dad who won't show affection to his sons, it, it, it throws things off a little bit. Affection from a father to a daughter and from a father to a son are central to their gender identity, to developing as a man or a woman. For my boys, you know, we don't, um, everything for the boys isn't about a hug or a kiss. My older boys sometimes will walk up to me and come up to me. I'll be watching something or watching a ball game at ball field and one of them will come up to me and just take his elbow and Bam, right in my side, just like that. And then I'll do that. Bam, just like that. Well, that counts as a hug, right? That's, an, that's not anger. He's not doing that because he's mad at me. He's just saying, I love you, Dad. And I say, I love you too, just like that. Now, that's how guys can do it, wrestling around. I mean, even grown men will do it. I'll come up to some of my buddies and just, boom, hit them in the shoulder like that. And they'll hit me in the shoulder like that. And that's just guy talk. Hey, I'm glad we're friends. Yep, I'm glad we're friends too. We just don't say it in the same way. And so wrestling around, that counts. Um, For a dad and his daughter, dads usually don't have a hard time showing affection to their younger daughters is when the daughters start to to look like women. And sometimes some dads kind of freak out a little bit. And uh, what I want to say to you dads is that is the time when you better pour it on the most. All right, you just better get over it, figure it out, get you some advice from your wife or if she's not around, a, a grandparent or another woman. But look, that's when a young woman needs her father's unearned affection the most, right? 
she's going to have plenty of guys wanting to show her affection. She needs the most important guy in her life to show her unearned affection, to affirm her in these developmental things that are taking place. This is good and right and it's awesome. I'm proud of you. I love you. And it, I'm not freaked out about it. Because if you act awkward about it, then, then it looks like something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. Nothing wrong with her. Something wrong with you. So you just got to get over it and start showing some affection. Make sure you don't draw back at that particular time when, frankly, she needs it the most. So affection is, is a part of this. But I want to just explain a handful of things with regard to <clears throat> some details about how you can help create these moments in the home and identify moments for boys we have got to make sure that we are creating moments of what i would call adventure danger valor now it doesn't have to be crazy and it doesn't even have to be real danger it can be just perceived danger for instance when our kids were much smaller gunner and georgia were about seven fisher's about five we went to, we would go camping, still do. They're little. <clears throat> so we go on a hiking trail. <clears throat> and I get, pull the boy, pull everybody together. And I say, all right, boys, you got your pocket knife? And I've got mine. And Gunner has his. And Fisher, five years old, he's got his little pocket knife. Yes, sir, we got it. Okay. Now, here's what's going to happen if we see a bear. Now, first of all, we're not going to see a bear. If I thought we were going to see a bear, I would not be bringing these little kids on this trail. Okay? So we're not going to see a bear. I'm not even remotely concerned at all we're going to see it but we're at general butler state park all right not going to see a bear so here's what we're going to do if we see a bear gunner i'm the biggest strongest got the best knife i'm going in after the bear now i've never fought a bear before i may not know exactly what to do and if i get in there and get in trouble you're going to have to get involved all right you're the next in line you're the next oldest next strongest next you're seven years old you're going to have to get in there and get after it all right by now, Fisher's eyes are as big as saucers. Fisher, I know you're only five, son, but listen, here's the deal. If Gunner goes down, I don't even know what you're going to be able to do with that knife, but I suggest you try to poke that bear's eyes out. <laughs> Girls, while Fisher's getting eaten, you run like crazy. <clears throat> All right, now, did that scare everybody? No. Scared Georgia. Gunner and Fisher, they are, they are looking around. They're hoping to see a bear. Now, that is crazy thought, right? They're hoping to see one, but it doesn't matter. What, what's being taught there? We're not even going to see a bear. There is no real danger. It's perceived. And what is everybody? We're cultivating the instincts in everybody to what? The guys go down while the girls go free. The boys are going to get eaten while the girls go free. You can teach that to a five-year-old and help cultivate it, and you didn't even have to put him in any sense of danger at all. He just had to believe that there could be something. I mean, we, camping is a fun thing to do because something always happens. We had a sleeping bag that one time rolled down into this ditch. It was a pretty deep ditch, but it was a ditch. Well, ditch didn't sound like very adventuresome, so I called it a ridge. And boys, your mama's sleeping bag fell down there in that ridge. It rolled all the way down there, and I said, we're going to have to go down there and get it. We're not going to let your mama sleep without a sleeping bag tonight. So again, we got this men taking care of women, boys taking care of man, man taking care of his wife, boys taking care of their mother. It's just a ditch. That's all it is. But no, we're calling it, it's a ridge. We're going to go down that ridge. I don't know what we're going to see down there. I, there, there. It's possible there could be an anaconda down there. I don't know. Now, we're not in Africa. There's no anaconda down there. There's not even a grass snake down there. It doesn't matter. 
We might find the bones of the last guy that went down there. I don't know, boys, but we've got to go down there. Get your knives out. We've got to go down there and get that, get that sleeping bag. Do you know for two years those boys talked about that? Dad, you remember that time we went down on that ridge? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, Surprised we're here to even talk about it. Until Gunner got old enough a couple of years in, and he realized, he was old enough to realize that wasn't a, he said, yeah, that's not, wasn't a ridge. That was like a little old ditch. I said, oh, that's too late now. You'd already had its work in you. You, th- you thought you were Superman going down in there, right? <clears throat> it, it's very important <clears throat> that, we, that we make sure that it is not our job. It's not our job to overprotect. Sometimes parents these days think that their primary job is making sure their kids nothing bad ever happens to them. That's just not our job. Bad things are going to happen. They're going to get disappointed. Somebody's going to hurt their feelings. They're going to fail. They're going to somebody's going to say something mean to them at school. They're going to get a C. And that really is the best they can do. Every, all parents want their kids to be phenoms at everything, okay? And they can't, they keep telling their kids, oh no, you're the best, you're the best. Do you know sometimes that is the worst thing that you can do? Um, you know, the, the category that is the biggest in terms of kids is the category of average. I mean, that's just the, it, that's why above average, you have few people that are above average, few that are below, but most of us are in the average category. And that doesn't mean you live a life of mediocrity, it just means. We're just bringing average tools to the table. That's okay. If your kid is playing Mozart at three, you have got a phenom on your hands, okay? But other than that, it's not as important that, we, that our kids believe that they're the most wonderful thing on the earth. <coughs> it's okay. Disappointment's okay. Hurt feelings are okay. Injuries are okay. It is not our job to make sure nothing bad ever happens to them. In fact, all of you are adults now, and you know that's impossible to prohibit in the first place. And some of the best things to know how to do are handle disappointments and challenges and trials and hardship. Well, we, get, we, we parent by sentimentality and not by outcome. What I'm asking is, what do we want these boys, we'll talk about girls in a minute, what do we want these boys to be able to do? Because if, if we keep telling our sons, don't jump your bike, don't climb that tree, and why do we tell them not to do that? Now, I'm not talking about getting them to do fraternity pranks and jump off a three-story building or play in the street or swallow a goldfish or something like that. I'm just saying in general. Why do we tell boys not to do certain things? Because you'll get what? Hurt. You'll get hurt. Oh, don't climb that tree. Why? Why? Because you might get hurt. Don't jump that ramp. Why? Because you might get hurt. Don't, don't ride your rollerblades down that Why? Because you might skin your knee. You might get hurt. I mean, just think about that for a minute. <clears throat> you tell a young man, a boy, enough times, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, you might get hurt. And for me, this is missiological. Because one day, this church, your pastor is going to be up here, and he's going to say, we found a We've identified an unreached people group, and we need some young men, maybe some young men without families. We don't know what they're going to find, what they're going to see, but we need some young men to get on a plane, go over there, scope it out for us, find out what we need, find out what the needs are, come back and tell us. But we don't know what you're going to find over there. But we need you to go. Go check it out. Those boys that we've been telling their whole life, don't jump your bike. 
Don't climb the tree because you might get hurt. What we're training them to do is not do anything because they might get, if it's going to involve any risk, any potential that they could get hurt, we've told them since they were four, don't do those things. And now we want them to go to an unreached people group? I'm telling you, it is missiological. We, this church and churches just like it all over the world want to reach the world with the gospel. And in some ways, we are, we are shooting ourselves in the foot just by how we are raising our boys to grow up and say, I don't think so. I'm staying right here in this room with the air condition where it's safe. <clears throat> and for you moms that are in here and moms listening on CD, <clears throat> DVD, boys do crazy things they are willing to taste things put things in their mouth things that are just gross they they just they gravitate naturally toward just crazy stuff i remember at one time i walked by our bathroom and i walked by it was just a father-son moment i walked by gunner i see gunner he's six years old in the bathroom the door's open. I walk by, and I walk by just in time to see him pulling his head out of the toilet. And he looks at me. We make contact. Water is dripping off of his head, and we, he looks at me, and I look at him. I said, what are you doing? He said, I don't know. <sighs> okay, so then I'm thinking, you know, you're, you're going to be unemployable. You know, you're sick. I mean, what you... What you, you just walked in there and said, oh, water, I'll see what's in there. I'll stick my head in there. I mean, you know what else goes on in there, right? Just, you know, just stuck his head in there. One time, Gunner, <coughs> or Fisher, came around the corner. He was about five, and I was outside. And he said, Dad, you ever eaten an earthworm? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. It was a youth, I was a youth pastor a long time ago. It was a stunt that we did, and I thought if I ate the earthworm, it would draw a crowd and everybody would go crazy and then everybody would become a Christian. Well, that didn't happen, but I did eat the earthworm. He said, Dad, you ever eaten an earthworm? I said, yeah. He said, is it any good? I said, oh, yeah, it's delicious. Because we all know what's getting ready to happen, right? So I'm, I don't want to get in his way. So he goes back around the corner. He comes back around, dirt all over his face. You're right, Dad, it tastes awesome. So he goes, Gunner comes around the corner and he says, did you let Fisher eat an earthworm? I mean, like I gave Fisher the keys to the car, you know? Yeah, I let him. Is it any good? Oh, son, it is delicious. Delicious. He walks around, comes back, dirt all over. Says, Dad, you're right, it's delicious. Well, this, at this point, Georgia, my daughter comes, I mean, she bolts in the house. Something bad. She knows this, everybody's going crazy outside. She goes in the house to tell on it. So Dana comes out. <clears throat> She says, uh, are you letting the boys eat earthworms? I said, yeah, I am. Now just picture this, because all of you ladies are asking the same question she's getting ready to ask. She said, is that normal? I said, yeah, yeah, it's normal. That's what we do. We grow up and become responsible adults, but man, at this age, we are doing some dumb stuff. All right, just give us a chance. We're all going to outgrow this, but this is what shapes us. You know, we just need to be able to grow up and say, I ate an earthworm one time. I climbed that tree. You see that tree? Climbed that tree one time. 
Every now and then Dana will call me. Fisher, one time, years ago, he was in a tree house we would built. <clears throat> and she said, hey, um, she said, Fisher's in the top of the tree house and he's got a rope tied around the tree limb and he's got a rope, the rope tied around his waist. Do you think I ought to wait until you get home for this? I said, yeah, but not because you can't handle it, because I just want to see this, right? There's going to be some entertainment this afternoon. So I get home. Fisher's waiting there. He is smiling from ear to ear in that treehouse. He said, Dad, I'm getting ready to fly like Superman. I said, I know, son. I, I've been waiting all day to see it. He said, you ready? I said, oh, I'm ready. So he jumps out of that treehouse. Bam! Flat on the ground. The rope was like three feet too long. All right. Now I knew that was going to happen. That's just an important lesson for a young man to learn. You know what he did? He got up and he said, Dad, I think the rope was too long. I said, yeah, me too. He said, you ready? I said, I'm going to go do it. And he tied it, did the short rope, and he kind of did what he was thinking about doing. You know what he learned that day? Fall down, you get back up. Fall down, you get back up. One of the best lessons a young man can learn. You fall down, you get back up. Fisher, I came not too long ago. I came around the corner coming home, and he's standing there waiting on me. <clears throat> His knees had so much blood on them, it looked like a crime scene. I mean, just everywhere. And it had been there all day long. He hadn't touched them because he wanted me to see them. So I drive up, and uh, I said, hey, man, what happened? He said, Isaac, put a, put a ramp on the cul-de-sac. Well, I knew what that meant. Most guys know what that means. I don't need any other explanation because what that meant is Isaac put a ramp on the cul-de-sac and all the boys could have been in the house in the basement playing Xbox, but the ramp gets in the cul-de-sac and it's like a disturbance in the force and they all come walking out of their houses like zombies because there's a ramp in the cul-de-sac. It means you got to jump it. Somebody puts it out there, you jump it. And everybody just decides how, what they want to use to jump it. So he... I said, what'd you do? He said, I went in the garage. He said, I decided I was using my rollerblades on this one. He said, so I got my rollerblades on. I went to the other end of the cul-de-sac. We live in a double cul-de-sac. So I went to the other end, and I went as fast as I could, and I hit that ramp, and I got in midair, and he said, I thought to myself, I have made a big mistake. I said, what was your mistake? He said, I didn't even think about how I was going to land. Well, that's important information, right? He, he's going to think about how he's going to land next time. But I guarantee you, the more things that he does like that, the further down the road he is. And one thing isn't as bad as the next. And the next thing isn't as bad. And before you know it, he's beyond that. And so <clears throat> what, we need to, what we need to make sure of <clears throat> is that we are creating opportunities. I don't mean pushing them out in the street and doing crazy stuff. I just mean... Let, let them do something. Don't make it. Have they broken things? Yes. Arms, legs. You know what? They go to the emergency room. You know what they learn? They get the bone set. It heals up. And the place where it's broken is stronger than the rest of the other bone, the rest of the bone. And they heal up on the other side of it. And they think, oh, that's what happens. It hurts. But you get on the other side of it. And it trains them up to be protectors and leaders. And it trains them up to expect. 
that they're going to be called upon to do something, the ugly stuff, the nasty stuff. <clears throat> for, for daughters, I'm going to tell just two stories that I think can cover a, a gamut of things. When my oldest daughter was five years old, I took her on a first date. We'll be done here I'm, in just a minute. I took her on a date. I'd always dreamed about doing this, and I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to go to Don Pablo's. I want to eat Mexican food. I want to go to the mall. I want to hold hands, walk around the mall, and eat ice cream. All right? I can deliver. Now, she did that because that's what she knows my wife and I do, and I don't know what a Christian couple does after 9 o'clock. Karaoke? I mean, we, we go to the mall, walk around, and eat ice cream. So I take her out, and I don't know what I expected, but she... I expected deeper conversation. I shouldn't have. She was only five. But she's, she's, we're in there, and we're at Don Pablo's, and she's talking about candy and dolls and Barbie and all sorts of stuff. And so we go to the mall, and we're holding hands, eating ice cream, just like she wanted to. And she's <clears throat> talking about candy and dolls and Barbie. And I'm just beginning to think, you know what, I, I, I just had too high expectation. There's really nothing major going on here. And, and just out of the blue, this is what she says. Now, guys, you're not going to believe this. Ladies, you'll believe it. But guys, she says to me, she said, Dad, guess what? What? Barbie got a new camper. I don't know what. She says, when I grow up, I'm going to have a husband and I'm going to love him forever. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking about candy and dolls. She is holding my hand thinking about her husband. That is amazing to me. I had never dreamed of such a thing. Amazing. Because I can assure you, a little boy walking around the mall holding his mother's hand ain't thinking about marriage. In fact, if you've raised him right up till five years old, the only thing he's thinking about is how to get out of the mall if you've done it right, right? I mean, he doesn't want to be, he's not thinking about getting married. She's never been to a wedding. She doesn't know anything about bridesmaids' dresses. She doesn't know anything about event planning. All she knows is she's feeling some kind of great feeling holding her dad's hand, and she's thinking, hey, I bet this is how I'm going to feel about my husband. So that's then the boom. Then she's off to the races. I'm going to have a husband. I'm going to love him forever. Dads in particular have got to make it a point to create these moments of connection with their daughters. They are different from boys. I can go out and shoot baskets with one of the boys and never say a word and it be a moment. Now, I can't do that every time or we'd never have a conversation, but there have been plenty of times we go out and shoot baskets and I walk in and Dana say, my wife will say, hey, what'd you, what'd you guys talk about? Nothing. No, really. Like, I know you didn't talk about anything major, but what, even the small things. So no, what I'm telling you is neither one of us even said one word. But we had a serious father-son moment. We shot baskets, I elbowed him, I knocked him down, he knocked me down, and we didn't say a word and we just came in the house and we did have a moment. Well, she has no category for this because that isn't how women typically connect and daughters are different and women are different and it's important for a dad in particular to help create these moments of connect it's important for a mother and her son to spend some times like this but for a dad to connect with his daughter like that is incredibly important there are things going on in her mind and her world when she connects with you like that it is it is just high powered connection one other example, and then we'll be done. <clears throat> Just not enough time in the night to cover everything. But one of the things that uh, I do sometimes, and 
even when they were younger, that made me realize how important this was. When the kids were littler, they would, they would go to a mother's morning out deal and they couldn't read yet. But what I would do is in their lunchbox, I would put a little note, you know, dear Georgia, you're doing great. I love you, dad. I'm proud of you. Dear Gunner, you're, I'm proud of you. Love dad. Very simple note. They'd go to mother's morning out, open up the lunchbox and the teacher would read, hey, Gunner, this is what your dad said. And um, one day, Georgia was in the living room and she had a little patent leather purse and I could tell it was full of something. And so I said, hey, Georgia, what you got in there? So she brought it over to me and opened it up, and it was all those notes. And, you know, she was kind of like, yeah, you know, it was all those, all those notes you wrote me. Like, don't the boys keep theirs? No, the, the boys, the spitballs in the ceiling in their bedroom is what they're doing with the notes that, uh, that I wrote them. But you kept all these? Yes, sir. Now think about this, because she can't read. I mean, she couldn't at that point. <clears throat> So she doesn't know which, which, what each of those exactly says. To her, it's just a bunch of letters on a page. What she does know is that every one of those pieces of paper had something nice that her father said about her. She doesn't know what exactly because she couldn't read at the time, but she just saved them because she knows they all say something nice to her from me. So these, these moments... <clears throat> creating these moments of opportunities for courage and girls need to be courageous opportunities of connection are incredibly important cultivating intentionally looking for ways to cultivate femininity in our daughters masculinity in our sons Um, we've got to be intentional because the culture is pushing us in so many different directions we've got to be much more proactive than we might have had to be 40 50 or 60 60 years ago this is just one of the areas in which the culture is is confusing us to such an extent that we need to be very proactive and intentional and help provide some moments that that might help us in that way well all right we're past 7 30 we're at uh 7 40 but uh i'm going to honor the time commitment because i know some of you have things to do and places to go and so let me lead us in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed Father, we're thankful for the time that you've given us tonight. I'm talking about such an important subject of gender and masculinity and femininity and also just even in the terms of parenting. And I pray for the parents in this room. I pray for the grandparents in this room that not only would they have a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity, but they would also um, have the courage and the conviction to be intentional about it so that they can raise up godly young men and women who have the courage to be what you've, you've called them to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.